0: We're back here on Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants and uh, joined with my co-host Jonah Bronstein uh, and uh, on the phone with us is Grant Hill. And uh, this is uh, a treat for us. Uh, We've been looking forward to talking to Grant about a number of things, but first thing that uh, Grant needs to know before we bring him in is that co-host Jonah Bronstein is not only an owner of the original 1996 Grand Hill feelers, but he still <laughs> wears them.
1: Ah. Still,
0: he, he played high school basketball on him. He still wears them. Uh, if you were on the Zoom right now, Grant, he just showed them, uh, held them up to the camera of, as proof. Uh, but uh, thanks for joining us here, Grant.
1: Yeah, no, no, thanks, thanks for having me, and and maybe I can work to get Jonah a, a brand new pair of those 1996 uh, Grand Hill Silas. Uh, to think that he played ball in them in high school and still wears them to this day uh, is, is, is quite hard to imagine. But I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, th- these are a
2: retro. I wore those out in high school. Me and Tupac were wearing them back in the day, but I did get the retro when they came out
1: a year or two ago. <laughs> That's right, you and Pac. Exactly. All right, Well, <laughs> hey, I, I, appreciate your, your, I appreciate your loyalty. I'll just say it like that.
0: Jonah and Pac. I mean, I can't I, – the number of times they've been mentioned in the same sentence, uh, I can't count them. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, Grant, uh, it's been an interesting NBA final. Uh, the, the Miami Heat come up for air in game three, and I think a lot of people had high expectations for them in game four and a little bit of a clunker for those who were hoping for a tighter series, I think. Um, but your thoughts on on this NBA final – and uh the strangeness of it and, and uh and the storylines that either have or have not come to fruition
1: yeah i mean it's, it's it's been uh you said strange which i think you know in a lot of ways can sort of uh describe this entire postseason and just this this whole year you know <laughs> the whole year of 2020 uh just just challenging weird uh unusual uh so many words to describe it but no, I mean, look, Miami uh, obviously is, is undermanned. Uh, they miss, you know, Goran Dragic. They miss, you know, Bam Adebayo, although he did come back and played very well there in game four. Uh, but they're well coached. They, they're disciplined. Uh, they're in great shape. They play hard. They, they do everything right. I, I, it, when you get in the finals, though, you need a guy who can go get you a basket. and You know, a guy who can – go put a team on his back and go get a, bu- a bucket. And we saw Jimmy Butler do that in game three uh, and, and had sort of just a superhuman uh, performance, had one of the greatest finals performances of all time. And that's what it took to beat the Lakers. And I think that really kind of, sh- you know, shows just the disparity here in team and talent. Uh, Butler was unable to do that when that adjustment with Anthony Davis guarding him. He couldn't really get in the paint, and use his size and bully you. So that was a great move on the Lakers part. And the Lakers didn't really play great. I mean, Davis until the end, you know, offensively was, was not really that engaged. You know, LeBron had a bad first half. You know, uh, KCP and Morris were big for, for the Lakers. But, you know, the Lakers could have been beat, I mean, in that game. And, uh, and so when you beat a team in the finals and you don't really play your best game, uh, that's what you ideally want. And, uh, and so, you know, if, 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 Miami wins that, you know, now it's a fun series. It goes to six, possibly seven. I'd imagine now that the Lakers will, uh, will take care of business here on Friday and, uh, and win this series in five games. Great. If the Lakers close this out in the next game
2: or two, it's looking like this could be the start of another Lakers dynasty. What, could that or does that mean for LeBron's legacy? Is there anything more that can be added to that legacy? Or is it, is you know, how do you feel about what this title and potentially more titles means to LeBron's career?
1: Yeah, You know, I'm actually of the mindset that his legacy is pretty cemented. And whether he wins, you know, this is it, or he wins two or three more, I think it doesn't impact, you know, what the legacy is. I mean, he's had an incredible career. Uh, He's been so productive at such a young age, Uh, a lot of records, both in the playoffs, uh, but also in the regular season, you know, he will will break or be close to at the top. Uh, So the longevity of of excellence, never having any major injuries uh, and being dominant for so long, uh, that's there regardless. And uh, and you're right, this team, the way it's constructed, you know, LeBron takes great care of himself. Uh, He also... um, you know, he, he's so smart, uh, has a tremendous understanding of the game. Uh, and then with a guy like Davis, you know, he doesn't have to carry the load. You know, he's beating you now different than, than how he beat you in Miami and, and, and even in Cleveland. I mean, those, some of those finals with the Cavs, he put up gaudy numbers. I mean, he was just – it was like a one-man show. And now he's facilitating, he's distributing. It's not as if he has to come at you and beat you every possession – you know, he has a little bit of help. Uh, and if they're fortunate to win, that experience as a team will give them just the know-how and the confidence. So, you know, moving forward, yeah, I mean, they got a nice, you know, two, three, four-year window where they could be, you know, a team that's, that's in the hunt and in the picture uh, for finals every year. We're in conversation with Grand Hill. He's a
0: Hall of Famer, a seven-time All-Star, 1995 NBA Rookie of the Year course a superstar at duke and uh part owner of the atlanta hawks also a uh, sports analyst for i should say nba analyst for turner sports uh and because you're not doing the baseball you know if i say sports analyst then you should be on with uh pedro martinez and big poppy and those guys uh earning your keep uh with the championship series i guess grant but uh, and that is just a scratching the surface of what Grant does because he is involved in so many different projects uh, and uh, community endeavors. Um, Grant, uh, I do want to ask you because uh, I think that your involvement as a documentary filmmaker and executive producer of many documentaries uh, with uh, The Last Dance uh, that came out regarding Michael Jordan, the great uh multi-part documentary the 30 for 30 series that we saw over the summer legacies do have a tendency to change a little bit though and we're talking about lebron james's legacy being cemented but as time goes on i mean there are things i guess he could do to hurt his legacy uh uh whatever he maybe he can't do much more to enhance it or also kobe bryant i guess i want to ask you how you see as time goes on how does the answer change when people want to say who's the greatest of all time michael jordan kobe bryant uh, lebron james there we have all the information we probably need but, and yet the answer seems to shift as time goes on
1: yeah i mean uh, that that's it, it's such a hard debate um, you know cuz it, it is subjective and it's 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 hard to sort of understand what the metrics are and a lot of it's just it's opinion you know it's it's I think I think you have a tremendous amount of people who are younger uh who've only really seen LeBron and come of age and you know uh, during the sort of LeBron James uh, era and reign in the NBA uh and then you have older generation who maybe saw Michael in his heyday and are probably more biased towards him so you know it it, it you know, it's it's one of those things where there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, we all have different opinions, and, and as I say in television, an opinion can never be wrong. Um, but you know, I I think Michael, um, you know, I, I think regardless, of me, I mean, I think his impact not just on the court but off the court, and uh, you know, just his dominance, his excellence, uh, his style, uh, his commercial appeal. Uh, he was universal. He transcended sport in his way. And in a time uh, where he really opened the floodgates for other athletes and athletes of color to have those type of opportunities. And, and, and LeBron James is in that same mold. And it's, if anything, it's, it's, it's standing on the shoulders of a guy like Michael Jordan in terms of, you know, that off the court stuff, taking it to a whole nother level with, you know, various interests and things of that nature. So you know that that's what that's what it's all about. You know, the game is about evolving, as we've seen the game evolve, uh, the, the the players have evolved, uh, but also I think the marketing and the branding and and and, and sort of what defines an icon uh, in the sport is evolving too, and uh, and that's a beautiful thing to watch. Like I said, I don't get I, mean, I have my I think Michael. I mean, I think Michael for different reasons, but I, I know people who I uh, love and respect who who feel the other way and feel it's LeBron. And so it, it, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just a, a matter of opinion.
2: Great. You played against Michael Jordan in his second prime and much of LeBron James' career in his prime. You had some really great performances against Jordan in, in the 90s when you were in Detroit. You know, on the floor, who, how would you compare guarding them? You know, who was more difficult for you to cover, Jordan or LeBron? You could even throw Kobe Bryant
1: in there. Yeah, I mean, I didn't guard Michael a whole lot. I was matched up a lot with uh, with Scotty, um, but but Michael was relentless. He was so efficient. Um, you know, he beat you with his mind. He didn't take plays off. And, and you know, another thing you have to factor in, and this certainly, you know, and I and I think sometimes to to make an argument, you put down someone else. And that by no, you know, by no means do I intend to do that, but. Um, it was was more physicality, you know, there was more physicality back then. You could hand check, you could, you know, use your arms a little bit more. You could do things defensively that's not permitted in today's game. Um, But, you know, Michael, um, you know, when I went against Michael, the few times we were matched up, you know, I was younger, I was healthy, I was, you know, at a certain level. And then, you know, when I got older, I played against Kobe and, you know, certainly I was older and, you know, had many surgeries and So it was a shell of myself um, and played against LeBron and, and had some success against LeBron uh, on both ends of the floor. And so, you know, for me, having seen all of them uh, there, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. Um, But, but Michael was, you know, and even Kobe, I mean, Kobe I think has acknowledged that Michael was was the greatest and certainly uh, an influential figure for him uh, as, as a basketball player. But, you know, LeBron's different, got a different approach, different style, uh, certainly extremely successful, an amazing player and talent, uh, and really one of the best to, to, ever, to ever lace him up.
0: You know, Grant, in my research, I came across a, a story, uh, or I guess I should say uh, I heard a story. It might have been a mutual uh, acquaintance of ours telling a story about you uh, behind your back, but uh, he says <laughs> that uh, there was a good story uh, – about your daughters being worried for you when uh, when you were in Phoenix uh, and you had to guard LeBron James, and uh, when your own flesh and blood is worried for you, uh, does that impact your opinion uh, on <laughs> on how good a player is?
1: You know, they, and were they haters. right to be worried you know, for dad? No, they were haters. You know, they 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 <laughs> never really saw me in my prime, and uh, anytime. Um, you know, we'd have a game whether it was, you know, I guess then it was against Cleveland, um, or we're playing the Lakers, or you know, if I had to match up with Carmelo or whoever I was going to guard. You know, my my one daughter was, you know, Dad, I'm worried about you. I don't think you can guard that person. And so, uh, you know, it was just a little hate, you know. And but you know, it's funny they they didn't, you know, my oldest is is 18 now and she's off in college um, as a freshman, but you know, she didn't see, like, she didn't see that version uh, of me. She saw me, you know, you know, in Phoenix and, and more so as a, as a, as a role player, as a veteran, as, you know, and so uh every once in a while in the last five, six years, she'll go on YouTube and, you know, she'll look up a clip or a highlight and she's like, man, dad, you actually were pretty good. And uh so finally, I'm getting some love in my own house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're in conversation with Grant Hill, uh, NBA analyst for Turner Sports, among a gazillion other things that you know him for uh, over the years. Um, and I mentioned earlier, uh, documentarian, and uh, you've put together um, a long list of, of great sports documentaries. And I wanted to ask you this. Um, maybe it maybe has to take a leap with me as I ask this question, Grant. Um, the There are two 30 for 30s um, in which uh, the – main character was shown to be a jerk. Uh, we're talking about The Last Dance. I think a lot of that, even though it was produced by Michael Jordan, uh, maybe we didn't see the full extent of his teammates and the people around him, that this guy was driven and it was maybe part of his personality that he needed to be that have that type of personality. And then, of course, I hate Christian Laettner. Uh, Christian being a Western New Yorker, I wanted to ask if there's a comparison. Obviously I'm not comparing their uh I'm not um comparing their uh their legacies or how they were as a player. But a certain mental attitude. Is there a comparison to be made there uh, of of a player who needs to get into that mindset of just being a a jerk um and 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 um pushing himself on the opposition.
1: Yeah, I mean You know, I think, you know, I'll say this. I think the the perception of Christian, um, you know, particularly from that that movie, it it wasn't entirely fair. (laughs) Um, He was competitive. And he was really, I mean, everything, ping pong, boxing, like every bowling, like everything was a competition with him. And and he had an edge about him. And I and I think that, you know, that's in part what what made him great. He wasn't necessarily the best athlete. He was, you know, he, he didn't wow you with his physical attributes. So, you know, but he he, he was so darn competitive. Um and, and it's funny, like that that documentary, I hate Christian Leighton, which I, I thought was well done. I was there with Christian at the premiere. There was a screening for it before it aired on TV. And, you know, it was funny, before the film, uh, before they, they aired it, one of the people from the 30 for 30 from ESPN came on and, you know, get, you know, got in front of the screen and was talking via microphone and said, you know, when we first did it and they first brought back to us the film, the first cut, they, they thought it was too nice. And it painted like too good a picture of them. And so they went back and, and then they ended up coming up with, with the film. And so if you recall, they ended up getting, you know, various people who had nothing to do with our team to sort of, you know, interject, I think Paul Rosenberg was one of them, talking about like how they, they hated Christian and this and that. And I think they added certain elements to it to sort of support this angle they wanted. I know they sat with me for three hours and they only took those little bits and pieces where I kind of like, You know, oh, yeah, he was a jerk. You know, like certain things that I said, but they didn't tell the full story. And one of the great stories, and it happened in Buffalo, the only time that I've been to Buffalo, uh, we were, you know, 1992, and we were going in town to play Canisius at the Odd. And back then, you know, Coach K would always schedule at least one game uh, during a player's four years in their hometown. And so we come in as back-to-back champions. We land at the airport, like, you know, before 9-11, obviously. So, like, the airport's crowded. The mayor's there. He gives us a key to the city, like, right at the gate to Christian. Camera – like, it was just – it was a a mob scene. And so we go out. We're number one in the country. Christian's, you know, obviously a player of the year candidate. And in the first half, he takes, like, two shots. And at halftime, coach, you know, we're blowing Canisius out. But the halftime coach was, you know, it's like, hey, Christian, you know, you, you, um, you're not really looking to score. And Christian's like, hey, I want to show my my hometown how good my teammates are. And like, you know, and so we're all like, okay, we can get our we can get our averages up now, you know, we can go out here. But <laughs> like, like that's the side that like people didn't always see. And so yeah, on on the court, in between the lines, he was competitive. Yeah, he talked trash, and you know, he would he would you know. You know, come over and say something to you if you weren't playing. But I'll tell you what, when I made dunks or great plays that I had during my time there, nobody celebrated greater and, and, and was more excited for me than him. And, and so, uh, so, anyway, it's just interesting. I don't, I don't feel like the full picture was really accurately told about Christian. Like he was a great teammate. And, and most of my memories and experiences at Duke those two years were with him hanging out with him and spending, you know, the locker room and all of that. Now, you know, he had a side to him that, that was only Christian, you know, but uh, so I, I would always get in a foxhole with him. And, um, uh, but I do think that you have to be able to compete. You have to, you know, you have to, to, to really want to get after it. And, and, you know, I, 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 I was at a certain level in the NBA, and, you know, look, I'm, I'm a good person, nice guy, get along people, but when we got between those lines, like, we're competing and we're trying to win, and you're trying to do whatever you can to be successful, and, and Christian was, was one of the best. And, and, and Jordan, I think Jordan was, you know, obviously his competitiveness is what separated him. Christian had a real competitiveness those two years that we played together in Detroit. Everything was a competition. And he had to win at everything. And unfortunately for us, he was good at almost everything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Christian, Leiter, one of the two or three best players to ever come out of Western New York after Bob Lanier, another player in that discussion, Cliff Robinson. What do you remember about competing against him and being in the NBA around the same era as, as Cliff Robinson?
1: Yeah, no, Cliff was uh, was – was, was a great player and a great person. I mean, I, I, he was one of the guys, that, you know, that I've always said that I had the hardest time competing against. You know, he just he, – he, he, he guarded me, and you'd think he was a big guy, but he could really slide his feet. He was really smart. He was obviously taller than me, and he just gave me a lot of problems. And I could – you know, so he was somebody in my Detroit days that I, I struggled with. Like, I struggled trying to figure out how to beat him. Uh, and he was one of the toughest guys for me to go against in that regard. But uh, just a great guy. You know, everybody who's played with him thought the world of him. And um, just, just, you know, just so unfortunate, so sad that, uh, you know, that he, um, you know, that he, that he uh, you know, passed away. But certainly someone that, uh, you know, all of us who played with and against him certainly remember, I think, the world of.
0: Grant, last question for you. Um, I wanted to revisit, uh, I guess, a month and a half or so ago uh, when there were a few days where we weren't even sure if we would make it to the NBA Finals. Uh, Players went on strike. Some prominent voices seemed ready to end the postseason entirely after the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And all sports, uh, all the leagues uh, were shut down briefly. So I wanted to ask you this. As someone with a unique perspective as a former player, Atlanta Hawks co-owner, Uh, someone who double majored in political science and history at Duke, uh, someone who has a long history of raising money for community projects. Uh, Those prominent voices and league executives got back to work pretty quickly after making their point. Um, And uh, there's potentially more unrest looming. What, What do you think the sports world's true appetite is for wanting to
1: force change? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I I don't know if I can speak on behalf of the entire sports world uh, because I'm, you know, I I don't know sort of the NFL. I'm not in that. I'm not in Major League Baseball and, and, and other sports, but I'm in basketball. And, you know, I live in that space. I, you know, I work in it. Uh, I have uh, ownership and, you know, roles as the a, as a vice chairman of, of, of the Atlanta Hawks. So, you know, I have seen it, experienced it, lived it in a number of different ways in the world of basketball. And I include the WNBA in that as well. And, you know, I, I think athletes today, excuse me, uh, NBA athletes today, uh, just I think are very outspoken and understand the power of their voice and understand that or feel as though they have a purpose that that comes with and a responsibility that comes with you know, being an athlete and being an NBA athlete. Um, I think a lot of it started with Trayvon Martin in 2012 when you saw players using social media to sort of protest and post pictures about, you know, wearing a hoodie and and then all the the other incidents that have happened since then. I think it's just, I think NBA athletes have found their voice and there's a willingness and a desire to exercise and speak out on things. And obviously all of that really intensified this summer. Uh, you know, moving forward, I don't know. Like, I don't know what will happen. I mean, I don't know what the next six months, next 12 months look like. Um, and, but I, I do think that players, that was an important uh, issue for them coming off the heels of George Floyd uh, to have a platform uh, and a way to, to shed light and, and shine the spotlight on, on some of these injustices. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think, I, I don't think that alone makes changes, you know, and, and, but I do think, um, you know, I, I think if anything good has come out of, of all of this is that people now we're no longer in denial on certain things. And I think we're, 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 we're more willing to, to speak with one another and listen to one another. And, and, and really, I think try to understand each other and uh, understand some of you know what, what, what plagues us. And I think that's part of the process is if you can get people to, to talk to one another, listen and share, and do it in a non-judgmental way, then that's how you can affect change. and uh, And so you know, I, I don't know what the future looks like in that regard and the role that sports will play, uh, but I, I am proud that the NBA um, a, as players as a league uh, have have you know, have really been outspoken and certainly trying to do their part to move the needle
0: Grant hill hall of famer seven-time all-star part owner of the atlanta hawks etc etc nba analyst for turner sports uh what else do we want to add in there grant uh any uh, any initiatives uh, you're working with now that you want to plug
1: yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, actually, you talk about documentary. We, we, we just completed a, a, an incredible documentary called uh, A Most Beautiful Thing, and it's about an, an all-Black inner-city Chicago rowing team, uh, west side Chicago, in a gang-infested neighborhood. Uh, it was back in the 90s, and it was just a powerful story. These young men, reconnect they get back in the boat, they train, but their story, the, the trauma they faced growing up, uh, being, you know, in rival gangs and then this sport that uh, we associate with privilege and, and, and wealth was introduced and how this sport really kind of changed their lives and gave them, you know, this sort of a foundation uh, of success that they've been able to carry with them, you know, into adult life. And so it's out right now on the Peacock, uh, platform and it's called the most beautiful thing. And, uh, it's gotten some great reviews and write-ups. So, uh, and it's an important story, particularly with, with all that we've gone through uh, as a country this year. Uh, this, this message and this story is extremely timely.
0: A hundred percent score on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which doesn't happen often. Um, that is, uh, that's incredible (laughs) feedback right there um, yeah, check that out on Peacock. Uh, we have that here at home and, uh, I'll be watching it tonight.
1: All right. Well, good stuff. Now it's a great story and I appreciate you, uh, giving me a, a chance to, to plug it. Well,
0: Grant, thanks so much for joining us. You've been very generous with your time. I know you're a busy fella and, um, I want to wish you, uh, the best for the rest of uh, 2020 and into 2021. And, uh, again, thanks for joining us.
1: All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys.
0: All right. Take care. That's Grand Hill.